0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson and joined by a good friend of mine, one of the regulars on the Marlins beat. Danny Alvarez from LX Herbace. Danny, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. j
1: thank you so much for, for having me again. I think it's been a while, but um, no better time uh, to talk about Marlins baseball than right now, right? With 11 games over fi- over 500 and um, getting some key pieces back in the roster.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned it, so let's just jump into those key pieces. I mean, first off, we have... Well, first off, we have Tibu, who, if you're seeing the video <laughs> version of this, Danny just shows his, his dog, Tebu, who I hear is a great soul, even though he likes to be a little disruptive.
1: That's is that accurate? That's very accurate, yeah.
0: <laughs> and speaking of good souls who like to be disruptive, especially on the base paths, uh, Jazz Chisholm Jr., the Marlins are finally getting him back. He's been on the IL for about six weeks now with Turf Toe. Uh, last played on May 13th, when he collided into the wall in left center, trying to make an inning-ending play against the Reds. His toe collided with a metal por- portion of the bottom of the center field wall. Uh, it's been out for, like I said, about six weeks, but Marlins are about to get him back. And honestly, it's just it's a huge addition back considering the Marlins have had a winning record without him, but to be able to infuse him back into a lineup that you're seeing a lot, a lot of pieces click. And now if you're able to bring a dynamic player like Jazz back, if he's able to play the way that he knows he can play and the team hopes he can play and just adds another key piece while the Marlins are hot.
1: Absolutely, Jordan. And I I think Jazz is a game changer uh, with everything he's capable of doing on on the baseball field, Um, hitting, running now with good defense, because that's one thing that we have to highlight here is that he was playing very, very good defense at center field. Um, Obviously we knew it wasn't going to be easy. Uh, First couple of weeks of of spring training where it kind of, tricky for him but he was able to make the adjustment then when team broke camp and got to Miami obviously adapting to to a new outfield especially center field in Miami that is not easy at all was going to be a challenge and I think he got adapted uh, pretty quickly so that's something that we have to highlight and yes he I think he's definitely going to make an impact in this team now that he's back um I think he finds the team in a very good position of course, and we have to give credit to the guys who had that next-man-up mentality and were able to take a step forward. Obviously, the ones who came in trades like Jonathan Davis, who has been incredible for them offensively, surprisingly, and defensively, too. Um, So I think it's no better time to get him back than than right now.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Jonathan Davis because I wanted to give him a big shout-out for what he's done this last month. I mean, Marlins trade for him. Midseason, about a week and a half after Jazz gets goes down with injury. And you really don't know what you're going to expect. I mean, he has big league experience. He had about 150, 160 games, but the numbers really didn't point toward a guy who was going to be an everyday contributor. And then first those first two games in Colorado, three-hit game, three-hit game. Offense was steady throughout hit about hitting about 270 a month into his time with the Marlins. The defense was great. And you got to give kudos to the front office for identifying him and the analyst group that looked, that was combing through guys to find and identifying that he could be a guy. And you also got to credit John Davis for being obviously what you saw on the field with the offense and the defense, but his personality just fit right into this clubhouse, too. I mean, again, you you just see another upbeat, positive vibe guy. He's basically like you, you may have lost jazz on the field, but personality wise, you didn't have a drop off once. You added Jonathan Davis to this lineup and it just, again, it's one of those incredible stories. One of those stories that kind of goes under the radar with everything else that's gone on. And we're going to talk about a lot of those other key topics later on, but yeah, Jonathan Davis has been a really good addition. I'm interested to see what they end up doing with him moving forward now, because obviously if jazz is there, you want him every day. You're going to want him in center field. You could Davis can play in the corners as well. If you want to get Daniel Cruz or Jesus Sanchez, days off you or just keep him in that pinch run that pinch runner type situation as well he has that versatility he has those attributes that enable him to be useful even when he's not in the everyday lineup
1: yeah i think he and and he earned it and and i think that uh, we're seeing that with the moves that the team made today sending both garrett hampson and jacob amaya to triple a jacksonville because that was a, a topic of discussion. What were they going to do when Jazz was ready? And now that Jazz is ready, we know that he's going to be activated for this Boston series. And, and and they they kept Jonathan Davis. So, yeah, as you mentioned, he can play the corner outfields. I don't think that at this point the Mornings are going to platoon very much. Jazz, just like Mattingly did last year but if that happens one day maybe to give Jas an, an off day he can be a center fielder against, again again uh, the center fielder uh, against a a lefty pitcher so um i think this these are the tough but uh good problems that both managers and and front office want to have and uh he earned it he definitely earned it same same thing is happening with the with the rotation for example yeah. speaking of guys who uh, stepped up with Brian Hoyt with back-to-back uh, great start. So, um, yeah, it's something that we really have to to give them credit for.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned two of the moves, Amaya going down, and Ham's going down. Gene Sigur is also going to be back. The Marlins activated him. He's missed about a week with hamstring strain. John Birdie has been the main guy at third base. So now you have – what now we also see how the Marlins handle the left side of the infield because when Amaya was up, it was basically Wendell and Amaya able to platoon at short, and Birdie was every day at third. Now we'll see how they basically have that three-man rotation with Wendell, who's at shortstop, Segura at third, and then how Birdie gets used in between the two of those and also the occasional spots in the outfield because Birdie can just play wherever the heck he wants and knows how to show up. But to transition to the big picture of the team, uh, we're 79 games in Wednesday, assuming weather is cooperative over these next couple of days. Wednesday will be game 81, the halfway mark of the season. As you mentioned at the top of the episode, 45 and 34 in so far this season, heading into the Red Sox series, third best record in the National League. Only the Braves and the Diamondbacks are ahead of them. Danny, to you, what stood out the most about this run so far through 79 games? What has impressed you the most and just your thoughts on seeing what this team has done so far in year one under Skip Schumacher.
1: It's, it's difficult to, to point to one, just one thing when a team is playing so well. Um, but something that we definitely have to highlight is that this team has come back and, and win over 21, 22 I times. I think it's, I think it's 22 after At the least, Pirates walk off. The exactly. Pirates walk off so, May 22, I believe. Exactly. So it's 22 times. And that just um, tells you about the resilience of, of this team and, and how resilient they are. And, um the that, that knowing that whether they're down three, four, four runs, they can come back at any point of the game. Something that we didn't see happening in, in years past, especially something that personally frustrated me for the la- for the last two years was that they were playing close games. That's why it lost so many games by one run. But they just let games go away just in one inning by allow- allowing four to five runs this year we've seen for example sandy having a, an inning like that allowing four or five and then coming back and winning that game even though sandy didn't have his best off that uh, that particular night or, or day and that's that gets me to my second point how good they've been they've been this this season knowing that their ace their cy young has had the Worst stretches ever experienced in the big league so far, and we know that a picture of his talent, his quality, and how much he he works, that might be the mess, the best acquisition the Marlins may have f- during for the next couple months. Knowing that at some point Sandy will get back to be Sandy, uh, so that's something that that I really liked about this team, their their resiliency, and also um, how good young young players, and especially in the rotations, guys like Eury Perez. Edward Luzardo has been able to, to to fight and and keep this team in the, um right now in in wildcard positions, but really chasing the the Braves.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I told you at the start of the season through fifteen starts, Sandy's ERA would be hovering around five, and the Marlins would be six and nine in his starts, and they'd be eleven games over five hundred, how crazy would you have called me?
1: Uh, I would have told you to please go and seek 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 help. Uh, like anonymous alcoholics or something, yeah. <laughs> because it's. I mean, it's like what? What have you been drinking, man? I mean, it's yeah. it's something crazy. But but yeah, um, it, and and that, I mean, obviously we know that how good Sandy can be, and that, and I don't think that's might be a really a deep concern now, knowing especially how how encouraged uh Skip Schumacher no, not not now, series, sorry, uh, especially <laughs> with the, how encouraged. Uh, skip schumacher was on his last start uh, or after his last start that he mentioned that was pretty encouraging um but but of course i mean the team has done a pretty good job to to actually give him room support and and to know that yes i mean we we don't have to depend only on sandy and and last year it got to a point where it seems like they only won every five days uh, when sandy was on the mound
0: Yeah, and a couple of the other points I want to bring up. You brought up the close games, obviously the one-run game differential. Uh, For me, the bullpen. I mean, that's something that gets overshadowed a lot with this team. And you look at, again, just the acquisition they brought in, A.J. Puck coming in and establishing himself as the closer right away, making it easier with Tanner Scott and Dylan Floro not having to rely on those two every single game. The emergence of a guy like Andrew Nardi, who the little bit we saw of him last year was not good just Mm -hmm. in the simplest, nicest way to say it. And he's become a guy who you can put him in whatever situation. He could be coming in with with runners on base and you need him to hold them, to strand them. Or he can come into a high leverage situation or you're going into extra innings and you've burned all your main guys. You still have faith that a guy like him is able to step in there. And then, again, JT Chargois, Stephen Oker, Hwaskar Brazeman, I know he's had a rough stretch. His first two months were outstanding. To be able to see just the improvement there. Because I know the offseason, priority one was getting bats and improving the lineup, and they have done that. Priority two, which was more, was very secondary, was beefing up that bullpen just in terms of the depth. So you didn't have to rely on players A, B, and C every single close game. And you got to give kudos to them for doing that and also for the pitching staff, the coaches, Mel Stoudemire Jr., Weldon Cepeda, for up for enhancing the talent that they have in that bullpen
1: yeah great I mean great to mention Mel and and Beef in in this conversation because they've obviously been key parts of um building that and also we we had that doubt uh during the offseason not knowing for sure if they were coming back Mm -hmm. and I think that for Skip Schumacher to build a whole new coaching staff but to keep those two guys might be the key to the to the success of this team because of what you just mentioned the, um the evolution of the of the uh, bullpen arms Nardi as you mentioned, but also has never pitched so I mean so so many games and innings like he's doing now in the big leagues and and yes he's had a couple rough stretches but he's able to 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 learn to first of all accept it and say okay I know I need to what where to do I need to work on and. And and then move forward. So yeah, bullpen has been a uh, a big piece of this. I think though that they they still have to manage something to um, give a little breather to to those guys. Of course, obviously the the uh, the break for the for the All Star game will be huge for them because yes, they've been pitching very well, but we know that we still have a second half ahead of us, and and that's where. Things get uh, a lot difficult and, and yes, they, they have the talent, but it's, 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 it's going to be something new for, for many of them, you know, to be pitching close games and important games this time of the year.
0: Yep, no doubt about that. And now to move over to a few individual highlights. How can we not start with Mm -hmm. Luis Arise? I mean, I think he just got a hit while I was talking here just because it seems to be what he always does. For sure. And and, he's hitting. And and and
1: then John Jay just got hit on the chest again.
0: (laughs) Yes, he did. (laughs) Again, that dude has to be black and blue at this point. I'm very curious to see what he will look like once the regular season ends and how that continues. But with Arise in general, going into the series, only hitting 399 on the season at this point. Only. I mean, the dude's just, he's slacking right now. I mean, but seriously, just, I mean, I mean, I know you've been following him closely even before this, I know, because again, for those who don't know, Danny's website, Alex Chavasse, looked at a lot in terms of the Latino players, but it's a very specific with Venezuela as well. But so with Luis Arias, when the Marlins acquired him, I know again, we talked about it. During the offseason, when they were looking for players, and you were like, I wonder what would happen if this team ends up getting a Luis Arise. And I don't know if we were just joking or just BSing with it. And then it happened. It and, happened. <laughs> and now we're seeing, we saw what he did last year, batting title, 320 ish batting average out the year. But did you think that he could be a guy doing what he's doing now, hitting almost 400? I think he's only swung and missed 28 times this year. It's times. something like that. It just over to people, a thousand pitches. Yeah. Yeah. Just from your vantage point, what has it been like seeing him this year? And from the time you've spent following him and watching him before, what's changed? I think that
1: the one thing that has changed, honestly, uh, Jordan has been him taking care of his uh, body and getting in shape for the season. Because I remember watching, watching him when he, when when I I first saw him was probably six or seven years ago in the Venezuelan Winter League. He was 19 years old, playing for Magallanes, Navegantes del Magallanes, which is one of the most important teams in Venezuela and the Caribbean with a huge fan base and playing games against Leones del Caracas, which is like a Red Sox and Yankees type of rivalry in Venezuela, where every game is with more than 20,000, 20, 21,000 people in the stands. And this kid was playing those type of games like nothing. Like it was uh, a, a wiffle, goal, wiffle ball game for him uh, in, in, a, in a backyard. So, um, of course, I'm not surprised that he can hit because he's been always a great hitter at every single level, winner ball, single A, double A, triple A, whatever. But to be almost hitting 400 at this level when we're seeing basically every single pitcher that steps on the mound throwing 95-plus with a nasty sinker, nasty slider, nasty changeup, basically every single pitch, and he makes it look so easy. It's something that I I would have never imagined. And got to give credit to him um, for how hard he's been working in games, before the games, games, post-games, off-season, in-season, on his body balls, but also this guy, for example, as, as we're talking right now, he's probably in Boston in his hotel room um, having a, a video chat with his hitting coach, Frank Valdez, with a little tea and a little pad, And he's just swinging and just asking Frank, okay, what did I do wrong? Or is this good? Is this bad? Because that's how, how much he works. He, when he has time off, he usually calls Frank and asks him like, Hey, am I doing this good or bad? Even though he's hitting 400 or whatever.
0: You know, it's absolutely unreal. And also in this day and age where everything is home run strikeout, basically to see a guy who wants, who goes back to that old hit collecting mentality, the stuff we don't really see anymore. It just, it makes you appreciate the skill set that much more because of just how different it is from the modern day. It gives you that, that old school throwback type deal.
1: Absolutely. And, and now we, we see so, so many people saying, oh, yeah, he's hitting 399 or 400, but he's just getting singles. Well, if it was that easy, then everyone should be getting singles, right? Uh, but we, we also know that he can hit for power. We saw his homer this weekend. Uh, he can hit for extra bases. And when you see him top five, top six, top 10 in weighted runs created plus, Woba, OPS plus, these new Analytic analytical stats that people pay attention to and value only by the sabermetric side of it. Well, then he's pretty pretty damn good because he's on, on the top with guys like Acuna, guys like Soto, guys yeah. that are MVP type caliber caliber players. And guess what? He's playing that type of baseball because he's that type of hitter. So um, I'm really as a Venezuelan and as someone that it's close with him I'm, I'm very proud um cannot say I'm 100 I'm fully surprised but um I have to say that every time he gets ahead with a pitch that is four inches off the plate and he drives it to the other way or line drive center field I'm like dude this is the most incredible thing I've seen in a while in on a baseball field
0: yeah and in addition to what he goes on field just like we talked about with jazz and John Davis. He's got a good personality too. He's oh yeah, one definitely. of those guys. Yeah, he's just, he's one of, the, he's that guy who you just see walk around the clubhouse and just find whoever he wants and just starts up a conversation, and just lightens the mood. And doesn't That's, matter, doesn't matter if it's it's if if it's me, it's if it's you, um,
1: Christina, Nicola, whoever. I mean, he 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 will do it. And and I definitely, I definitely think he's changed the culture of of this clubhouse because it's also contagious. You 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 want to follow what it's good, right? And the guy is the best here in the game, probably. And he's, as you mentioned, a great personality in the club. And I think that's something that this team really needed. When when we hear someone like Jazz saying, hey, I'm just going to be doing everything he's doing and yeah. follow everything he's following, you're like, dude, this is serious because that's Jazz saying that. <laughs> and then we know Jazz. So, um, yeah, it's, he definitely changed it and spot on on Kimang and the front office. I think it was during the winter meetings when we said, what if... Yeah. They get this this kid. Uh, obviously, we lost a great personality in Pablo, um, who who we really love, we really like. But um, Luis has been uh, a blessing for the city of Miami.
0: Yeah, and now to go from one of the top guys in the batter's box to probably the next great thing on the mound who's already establishing himself, like you mentioned earlier, Erie Perez, uh, nine starts in, Again, just to make sure I give the reminder like I give every time, this guy's 20 years old. <laughs> he's nine starts into his career. All he's done is pitch to a 1.34 ERA over 47 innings. He's given up just one run over his last 33 innings. It's just, this game should not be this easy. And this 20-year-old, six 6'8", 99-mile-an-hour uh, throwing, throwing kid and it still feels we're calling him a kid because he towers over me and he's so professional and so mature yeah. as a 20 year old, just making this game look like it's child's play. And yeah. maybe it is fitting it's a call of child's play considering, again, he's 20. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you you gave me a hard time when I was twenty two, twenty three for saying that I, I wasn't legally uh, allowed to drink. But he's not legally allowed to drink yet. So yes. if this team makes the playoffs, he he has to get out of the clubhouse because he can't deliver with champagne. They'll have some
0: sparkling cider for him. So make sure to have some cider
1: for him. Something for for everybody. but um, yes, I mean, and and you you nailed it with with the maturity of this guy. Uh, how he's been able to to learn to grow up so fast obviously being with guys like Samuel Cantara for for many years uh, being very close to him not only for being Dominican but also the same agency working out together and all of that um but we have to give credit to to Eddie, his family his parents his coaches and and everything he's been he's been working on to to be at this level and as you mentioned so young that also brings up a topic that uh, has been for, for discussion for, for weeks now, is that, okay, when are we going to see... I mean, what what are we going to see from Eurie going forward? Because he's going to, at some point, he's going to reach an innings limit. And what would the Marlins do with him? I mean, would they send him down? Uh, and it's a tough discussion because the guy, as you mentioned, is, has a 1.34 ERA. He might as well be not only Rookie of the Month, but Pitcher of the Month in the National yeah. League. Uh, but he clearly deserves it. And and it's it's been something uh, crazy for a for a twenty year old guy. So he's making this uh, front office and coaching staff scratch their heads because um it, it's it's been really good, but as we know, um he only has been seventy seven innings, that's his career high uh for any level. He's only twenty. You have to even though they need him to to stay in this fight for for the playoffs, you gotta also Think ahead and know that he's twin and he's going to be a huge part of, of of this organization going forward.
0: Yeah, no doubt. You mentioned the innings count; He's already matched his career total for a season after his last start So every pitch he throws from here on out we're in uncharted territory. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like, again, I feel like probably 115 to 120 was probably what they were hoping for this year. And if that's the case, he has about 45 innings to play with. That's yeah. not a lot of... That's not a lot of wiggle room. And it probably, and again, it, again, they're appreciative of the fact that he was able to get up here, get this extended taste, but it also happened because of the state of the rotation. Mm-hmm. They were without Johnny Cueto. They were without Trevor Rodgers. Uh, they had Braxton Garrett fill in immediately for Johnny Cueto, and Braxton's been absolutely fantastic. I mean, if you remove that one game where he got shelled against the Braves, the 11-run game, He's hovering around two five ERA on the season if you take that one outing away. And once yeah. Tre- when Trevor went down, they started with Brian Hoeing, had him make two starts and then did a bullpen game. And then they finally said, you know what? This isn't working. Let's bring Erie up, see what he can do. But in a perfect world, he probably would not have come up as quickly as he did just because yeah. of the innings monitoring they wanted to do. So now it just it brings up the question: is 120 or something in that range going to be the cap? Or if they see that he's doing well, are they, would they push it a little bit farther? And if so, how far would that go? And where does this either shut down or time where you skip skip starts? When would that begin? He has two starts left before the all-star break. I would imagine you give him those two starts, 10 innings, 12 innings there, and then figure everything out in the second half. Because yeah. especially with the state of the rotation at this point, you kind of need him for these two.
1: Yeah, because especially we, we don't see – Sadly, we don't see the, those pitchers that went down coming anytime soon. Um, Quaid, of course, he's is the closest one because he's pitching games in, at, at AAA, but he hasn't been pitching that well. It's kind of concerning. Trevor, as you mentioned, has a has a has a tear in one of his lat muscles, so he's going to be out for a while, and 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 that's a problem for for them. Um, I mean, a good problem to have on every side, but. Um, obviously complicates things a little bit, so I think it's it's a right time for <laughs> for the all star break to come because they will need to uh, you know they will need him to to rest and then as you mentioned figure what's what's coming next. Uh, it it kind of reminds me of the situation with with Jose Fernandez in in 2013. Obviously he came up because Sanavia went down, Nathan Ivaldi went down, Henderson mm-hmm. uh, Alvarez went down, so they had no no, no nobody else to to fill in and they had to use Jose and Jose ended up throwing 170 something innings that year, but it's a, a, a different case. Maybe Jose has a stronger dude who pitched more in, in, in the big leagues Um in, in the minor leagues. I, I, I meant, and, and it's a, it's a different, it, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a different type of pitcher, but the situation is kind of similar. And, but, but the thing is that Jose wasn't pitching in those, intense games that the Marlins are about to face now because that team was basically eliminated from contention since day won. Um, for Audi it's going to be a whole different world now.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And uh, only have a couple minutes left here, but before we wrap the episode up, uh, wanted to give you a chance to talk about a topic that has been something you've been following and tracking for a while now. And it's fitting because he's going to be back at, back down here next month. Uh, Miguel Cabrera, you got to cover... 3000 hits you've been you and Alex you guys have been following his final season just give us the quick version of what this experience these last couple years have been like being able to be as close with with Miggy as you have been and just the emotions of what these last couple months of his big league career are going to be like.
1: No, I, I appreciate you giving me time to to speak about this, Jordan. You know it, you know it's one of my f- favorite topics. And it's been a privilege, a privilege, an honor, um, a blessing to be this close to to the greatest Venezuelan player of all time, one of the greatest Latin player of all times. And kind of emotional too, because we're we're seeing just the last of him. Uh, but it's it's been a fun ride. Last year, as as you know, we went to Detroit to cover the three thousand hit and and he got it. Um, all the celebrations and all of that. And now to have him back to Miami this year, his final season, um, the, the Marlins fans and Venezuelan fans in, in South Florida are a big community are going to have the chance to to give him a, a very uh, deserved and, and great farewell in, in his final season. And that's, I think that's going to be pretty special for both Venezuelan and, and Marlins fans and baseball fans in general who, who live here in South Florida. I encourage all of you to, to go and uh, to to <laughs> every single game that weekend, but especially Venezuelan heritage. Um, you're also gonna be supporting a, a, a good Venezuelan cause down there. And and yes, um I think the the only tricky part is that I don't know if I'm gonna be missing uh that final game in Detroit because there's another Venezuelan guy in the mornings that is uh, making history with every single hit he gets. And he might, he might, he's gonna be, the uh, probably the uh, back-to-back batting champion, but in different leagues, and that has never happened before. So yeah. of course, um, that last part of the season, we're gonna be obviously following Miggy, but uh, Luis arrives very closely, and I think that could be very special too. But it's because Miggy is kind of passing the torch to to these young stars. You know, we see Acuna, uh, but Luis, of course, is gonna be part of that. Um, core of Venezuelan players that are now going to be a stars of of this game. Of this game,
0: yeah, no doubt about it. It's going to be fun to watch both of those as they track everything down to the to the very end. Uh, but with that, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Fish Bites. Danny, thank you so much for the time. As always, uh, looking forward to catching up with you again once we're back in Miami. And with that, we will see you all again next week. Hundred percent. Thank you so much, Jordan.